Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. It's the 26th of January, 1966, Australia Day. A euphoric day in the middle of summer is typically reserved for celebrating Australian culture. The festivities are generally inclusive of drinking, swimming, and partying. However, for two parents in the suburb of Somerton Park, Adelaide, the celebrations will be swapped with fear, anxiety, and despair after their three children, Jane, Anna, and Grant, Beaumont, would go missing, never to be heard from ever again. Welcome to an all-new season of True Crime Never Sleeps. On this season, we dive deep into some of the most infamous solved and unsolved heists in history. From D.B. Cooper to the Geezer Bandit. Tune in on YouTube or any major podcast platform. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. I'm your host, Larry Elise. Today we're diving into the cold case file of the Beaumont children. What happened to the Beaumont children? It's a question that's captivated the public for the last 55 years. And despite a recently offered $1 million reward, a handful of incredibly compelling suspects in one of the most extensive searches in Australian history, the case still remains unsolved. I want you, I want you to put yourself in the position of what you might call a typical 1966 suburban household. What does that look like for you? For one family in Adelaide, Australia, it looked like this. Two parents by the name of Jim and Nancy Beaumont, alongside their three children. Jane Beaumont, age 9, Anna, age 7, and Grant, age 5. Jim worked as a taxi driver, while Nancy was a stay-at-home mom in their tightly knit cottage at 109 Harding Street, Somerton Park. This quaint little suburban house was a five-minute drive from the incredibly popular Glenig Beach. And on the 25th of January, a day before the kids would disappear, Jim would drop all three kids at the beach under the assumption that Jane, the elder sibling, would be responsible enough to look after her brother and sister. All three kids would return home safely that same day, instilling confidence in the minds of their parents that the kids were safe to look after themselves, should they go back to the beach again. The following morning, on the 26th of January, 1966, the scorching heat led the kids to return to the beach, leaving on the 8.45 a.m. bus, agreeing to return home on the 12 p.m. bus. Approximately three hours later, however, their mother Nancy would become worried when the 12 p.m. bus arrived without any of her kids. She would then wait around for the 2 p.m. bus under the assumption that they had simply missed the earlier trip, but once again, her children were nowhere to be located. The father of the children would then return home from a business trip early after learning of their absence, and at 3 p.m., three hours after the kids were supposed to arrive home, he and Nancy would drive to the beach, attempting to locate the children. However, they were still nowhere to be found. The parents would then visit the houses of local friends and family, 
for the next two and a half hours, under the assumption that they made a detour on their way home. However, still nothing at 5.30 p.m. The parents report the disappearance to the Glenig Police Station, officially becoming what would become the most notorious cold case in Australian history. What sort of a girl is Jane, the nine-year-old? Is she very intelligent? You only got to tell her a thing once, and she always does what she's told. Never talk to strangers on the beach when she swims there. Always be in groups. Be able to look after the other two. Quite capable. Within 24 hours, the whole nation was aware of the disappearance. Airports, railway lines, even interstate highways are instantly monitored, monitored under the suspicion that the children had been kidnapped at the same time. Local police remained hopeful that the kids had simply gotten lost and began to search the beach, local buildings, and the general vicinity surrounding the ocean. The kids had been carrying a grand total of 17 different items on their trip to the beach, including clothing, clothing, towels, and bags. However, none of these were located either after three days without any information relating to the kids' whereabouts. A 250-pound reward would be offered to the public, equivalent to approximately 3500 in today's money, enticing anyone who knew anything to come forward. While the amount offered has since been criticized for being somewhat underwhelming, it would prompt many witnesses to come forward, and investigators would finally get an idea of what happened to the Piedmont children. Wenzel's Bakery, a nearby shop that had reported that Jane, the elder sibling, came in, to purchase pasties as well as a meat pie at around 12 with a one pound note and while insignificant on the surface there are two clues here which instantly raise a couple of red flags for inst investigators firstly the kids never bought meat pies in the past as they didn't like the taste and secondly the kids had only been given six shillings and six pence enough for lunch and the return bus trip ultimately ultimately raising the question who had given them the one pound note at around the same time that the Wenzel Bakery sighting was coming to light, many other witnesses began to advise investigators that they had seen the kids walking around with a tall man in his mid-thirties. The man had brown hair, was thin-tanned, and was wearing swimming trunks. Witnesses stated that the kids appeared to be playing with him and felt relaxed, enjoying themselves and his company. Now this was bizarre as the parents of the kids explained that the children were extremely shy and to be playing confidently with a stranger seemed out of character. For this reason, it was then theorized that perhaps the children had met the man on a previous trip to the beach. Certainly plausible, considering they were at the beach only a day beforehand. This was also supported by an offhand remark days previously when Anna told her mother that Jane had gotten a boyfriend down the beach. A statement that her mother Nancy had taken little notice of until the disappearance. After playing in the park with the man, witnesses stated that the children had waited for him to get changed and were then seen walking away from the beach with the man. At around 12.15 p.m., just minutes before the bakery sighting, also being the time in which the kids were supposed to be catching the bus home, one final witness then reported that while at the paddle along a boat haven, she had spoken with three kids at around 7 p.m. that same evening who resembled the description of the Piedmont children. Police would search the area, even going so far as to drain the boat haven, attempting to locate a body at the under underwater in Glenig, South Australia. However, this search would end with no particular success. With this sighting assumed to be a case of mistaken identity, 
All the evidence pointed to this one specific man who has been seen with the kids on that hot summer day. Police would go ahead and draw various sketches, publicizing his image to the best of their ability, but a mother and a father in a catastrophic desperation, and a nation in shock. The only question everyone wanted answered was, who was that mystery man? Before we look at potential suspects, we should first quickly explore a different but related case which happened shortly after the disappearance of the Beaumont children, and that's the disappearance of Joanne Ratcliffe, age 11, and Kirstie Gordon, age 4, who vanished from Adelaide seven years after the Beaumont children in 1973. The circumstances of this case were incredibly similar to the Beaumont case. The parents left their children to go to the toilet alone. The children did not return, and in the 90 minutes following their disappearance, there were numerous sightings outside, stating, uh, <clears throat> sightings stating that the kids were looking distressed while walking with an unidentified man who had a similar physical appearance to the man on Glendig Beach in 1966. The police sketches done for this case or a striking resemblance to the sketches done for the Piedmont children. And with many other elements being similar, such as the location, age of the children, and circumstances of the abduction, investigators have often theorized that these two abductions were done by the same person, which will be vital when analyzing the four following suspects. The first possible suspect for the case is a gentleman by the name of Derek Ernest Percy, who suggested as a kidnapper in an article written by the written back in 2007. At the time, Derek Ernest Percy had been the longest-serving criminal in Victoria after his first serious crime all the way back in 1969. At the time, however, the first crime, Percy was found not guilty by reason of insanity based partly on a psychological condition which prevented him from remembering the details of his actions. Percy did state that he was at Glenning Beach for a family trip on the Australia Day that the kids would disappear, and was supposed to have indicated that he believed he might have abducted the children as he was in the area at the time, but due to his psychological condition, had no recollection of doing so. Percy matched the police sketch in terms of facial structure, but at the same time there were numerous elements clearing him from the case. The biggest issue with Percy was that he was born in 1948, making him only 17 years old at the time, significantly younger than the mid-30s age range reported by many of the witnesses. On top of this, there were questions as to whether or not Percy even had a car. At the time of the, dis dis uh, the, time of the disappearance, which would have been a vital requirement in order to escape with the children, undetected. Finally, Percy was in jail from 1969 for his ma first major crime, as previously mentioned, making his involvement in the Adelaide Oval disappearance an, imp an impossibility, considering investigators believe that both crimes were committed by the same person. This reduces the likelihood that Derek abducted the Beaumont children. And the second suspect is an individual by the name of Harry Phipps, who was highlighted as a possible suspect as recently as 2013. He was a factory owner and a member of Adelaide's social elite. He was known for giving out one-pound notes, resembled the police sketch to some extent, and was later discovered to have a sexual interest in children. In 2007, 
His son Hayden, who was 15 years old in 1966, came forward explaining to police that he had seen the children in his father's yard that day. It's a complete possibility Harry lived only 300 meters from Glenig Beach. We also mentioned earlier that the children appeared comfortable around the man, indicating that they met him on a previous trip to the beach, and if they had met the man on more than one occasion, then it's more likely that person was a local. This would also explain why the kids had gone into the bakery by themselves, as he may have had a hunch that the employees would have remembered his face from an earlier appearance. In 2013, two individuals who worked at his factory said that as teenagers in 1966, they had been paid to dig a deep two-square-meter hole in his factory yard for an undisclosed reason. They would eventually excavate the factory in November 2013 with the goal of finding information relating to the case. However, nothing of note was ever found. In 2018, investigators announced they would go back to the site to excavate once again, this time digging further than before. However, once again, turning up nothing besides rubbish and some old animal bones. On the day of the children's disappearance, Jane was carrying a white clipped money purse. Shortly after Harry passed away in 2004, an individual by the name of Stuart Mullins came to the house to speak with Harry's widow wife Elizabeth. In the basement, sitting on a shelf by itself, was a pristine white clipped purse. He then questioned the widow, stating that Jane Beaumont had a very similar purse to which she responded, No, no, no. I bought that from a shop last week. Mullins then asked what the purse was doing down in the basement, sitting pristinely on a shelf by itself. She responded with, I think you need to leave. A few days later, police showed up to the property, attempting to examine the purse, but it had been thrown, thrown out by the widow, creating waves of suspicion surrounding Harry's involvement. The next suspect is Arthur Stanley Brown a Queensland man who in 1998 was charged with the abduction of both a five- and seven-year-old girl back in 1970, approximately four years after the Beaumont children disappeared in 1966, and three years before the Adelaide Oval disappearance in 1973. The nature of the 1970 abduction for which he was being charged, as well as the general timeline, made him a compelling suspect. But... Perhaps the best piece of evidence was his eerie resemblance to the police sketches for both the Piedmont and Adelaide Oval disappearance. In 1988, when Arthur Stanley Brown showed up on the television for the abduction of the five and seven-year-old girls in Queensland, a witness from the Adelaide Oval case identified the man instantly as the person involved in the Adelaide Oval disappearance more than 25 years previously. Many witnesses for the Adelaide abduction stated that the man in question had been seen wearing a wide-brim, low-flat crown hat, which is uncharacteristic of Adelaide at the time. It was very common amongst people living in the hot northern parts of Australia, where Brown had been living at this time. An acquaintance of Arthur Brown had recently had recalled, excuse me, a conversation in their past when Brown, where Brown claimed to have seen Adelaide's festival theater when it was almost fi finished placing him in Adelaide around June 1973, just two months before the Adelaide abductions in 1973. There's a lot of evidence highlighting Arthur Stanley Brown for the Adelaide Oval abductions, but little for the Beaumont disappearance. Besides the potential link between the cases and the similar police sketch, 
At the time of Brown's arrest in 1988, he was 86 years old and had Alzheimer's dementia and was deemed unfit to stand trial. He died four years later, never having mentioned anything to do with Adelaide or Beaumont disappearances. The final suspect for the case is an individual by the name of Bevan Spencer. He was convicted of similar crime towards a 15-year-old boy in 1984. The most compelling piece of evidence being the mystery man on the beach was that he actually admitted to it. An informant known only by the name of Mr. B came forward to police explaining that he had bragged about taking three children from a beach several years earlier. The man stated that he had taken the kids home and performed brilliant surgery on them and had connected them up. Apparently, one of the children passed away in the process, and as a result, he had to take care of the other two, eventually dumping them in Bushland, south of Adelaide. He also admitted to taking two girls from an Adelaide football match, but refused to give further details. He did fit the police sketch to some extent. However, him being only 19 years old in 1966 made him significantly younger than the mid-30s age range reported by witnesses. One item also came off as the kind of psychopath who would lie about specific well-known crimes purely to increase his notoriety. He is one of the few potential suspects still alive, so he, should he be guilty of further explanation at a later date could still be a possibility. Two years after the disappearance in 1968, the parents received two letters that had been apparently written by Jane, the eldest daughter, stating they had been living a relatively pleasant life with the man who had taken them. The letter stated that the man had appointed himself guardian of the children and was willing to hand them back to the parents with a meeting location mentioned in the letter. The Beaumont parents, along with the detective, would go to the specific meeting place. However, no one ever showed up. Another letter was sent to the Beaumont parents stating that he had decided not to return their children after noticing that there was a detective present at the prior meeting, and no further letters were ever received. 24 years later, in 1992, with the help of new forensic technology, the letters were traced back to a 41-year-old man who had written them at the age of 17 for a prank because the time elapsed. The man was never charged with any offense after the case gained international attention. The psychic was controversially brought to Australia to help with the investigation. His search for the children was unsuccessful, and his story has been changing every single day based on different hunches. He eventually believed that their bodies had been buried under new concrete in a warehouse close to kids' primary school. The warehouse owners were reluctant to excavate based on nothing but a psychic's assumption, but eventually did so after 40 thousand was publicly raised to have the building demolished. Unsurprisingly, no remains or any evidence related to the case were found in the dig. Following this kid's disappearance, Jim and Nancy continued to reside in the same summertime park home, stating that it would have been dreadful if the kids were to return home, but did not find their parents waiting for them when they got there. The couple separated in the 1980s and eventually divorced sometime later selling the infamous Summerton Park home 
where so much grief has been ex had been experienced. Nancy passed away in an Adelaide nursing home on the 16th of September, 2019, at the age of 92, never having found out what happened to her children. However, Jim, aged in his 90s, continues to reside in Adelaide, assumingly holding on to a glimmer of hope. The case may be solved before he passes. On uh, January 2019, South Australian Premier Jay Weatherhill Weatherhill stated that the South Australian police had never given up on the case and that they have a policy that no murder investigation ends up in a closed file. The South Australian government maintains a $1 million reward for any information relating to the disappearance of the Beaumont children. Thank you for listening to this episode of the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. Let us know your thoughts on the case. What do you think happened to the children? Do you think uh, Australia will ever know? Let us know on Twitter at True Crime NS. Or find us on Instagram to search True Crime Never Sleeps. Or, and like us on Facebook. Be sure to um, like and subscribe to this episode on YouTube, on, on all major podcast platforms. Find us on Good Pods and leave us a review. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. Follow us on Twitter at True Crime NS. Like us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps. Send us a voice message at anchor.fm slash true crime never sleeps slash message. Tune in next week for an all new episode. Redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.